Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Oh, I've got a lot of work to do. We talked about being a Christmas kid, didn't we? And that being a Christmas kid has to do with having a childlike faith in Jesus Christ, humbly recognizing your need for the Lord, coming to Him, amen? And I want to be a Christmas kid, how about you? Amen. Well, today we're going to look at two more Bible stories where Jesus encounters children and how He encounters them because there's a message in there for us. One thing I, I, I love to comment on is the fact that the Bible stories are not there just for your entertainment. Amen? Now, some of them do excite us and challenge us and entertain us. I, I love to read the great stories about, um, you know, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and what God took them through. I, I love the, the stories about the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and there was one person in the fire, there was a fourth man in the fire, amen, <clears throat> likened to the Son of God, excuse me. I love Bible stories. I love to tell my kids Bible stories, my grandkids. How many like Daniel in the lion's den when God shut the mouth of the lion, Amen. And we go through all the wonderful Old Testament stories like David and Goliath or Samson. and We love those stories. But church, we need to understand that those stories are in Scripture, not by accident. They're there because God the Holy Spirit placed them in the Word of God for us to learn from them. They teach us how God loves people, how he deals with people, how he comes into their lives, and that our God is still a miracle-working God today. Amen? Not only do we have great stories in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the story of Jesus, amen, opening the blinded eyes and the deaf ears, healing the lepers, raising the dead. We love those stories, but they're there not just to tell us the gospel truth that we need a Savior and Lord but they're there to teach us that God wants to, a relationship with each one of us. That he wants to work in our hearts, work in our lives. And church, that he still does miracles in the lives of his children today. Amen? So when we read this story, we don't read it just to be entertained. We read it to see what God would speak to our hearts in this story. So... Last week, we started with Matthew 18 and verse 3, and I'm just going to recap where we started for just a second. In verse 3, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's two things that we were looking at last week that were more than that but those two things stand out first of all all of us need to be converted converted and become and the word become there is actually born has to do with being born and we talked about spiritual birth being different from our physical birth aren't you thankful for spiritual birth amen we're never going to enter into God's kingdom until we're spiritually born again. 
And that has to do with coming to Jesus as a child in humility, recognizing I'm not perfect and I need a Savior and a Lord. Amen? Is there anybody perfect here today? No. None of us are perfect. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that we have a Creator that died for our sins and we need to come and receive salvation. And secondly is the fact that every one of us can be great in the kingdom of God. That's what the scripture says, amen? How many want to be great in the kingdom of God? I didn't say prominent. There's a difference between being great and being prominent. We talked about that last week. Not all of us are going to be prominent in the kingdom of God, but we can all be great in the kingdom of God. Amen? So today I want us to continue that series of how Jesus dealt with little children. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 19, just one chapter over. And we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see Jesus dealing with little children. In in, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Children in Jesus' day were considered precious gifts from God. The Jewish culture cherished their children. And how far have we drifted away as a nation from that truth? And church, we need to pray. We need to care. We need to do what we can to see the children in our nation taken care of. Amen? Whether whether they're abandoned or given up or whether, whether they're aborted in their mother's wounds, we need to care about the children in our nation because that is a godly attribute. Godly care, God cares about children. They also looked at children in a, in a, in a way that children are, should just be quiet and learn. Some of us probably need to talk to our children about that. <laughs> but I want us to look at this and I want us to think about this. They love to bless their children. They wanted their children to be blessed. So that Natural tradition of the Jewish culture is to bring their children to a rabbi or an elder, have them lay their hands on the children and speak the blessing of God upon them. Because they cherish them, they love them. And we see that this tradition is something that is powerful. I want to read another verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 through 21. It says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So a father blesses his sons, a, a grandfather blesses his grandchildren. And I've talked about this in the past, but it's been a while. And on this Christmas, I want to challenge you to be a parent that takes time to stop and to pray and to bless your children. How many want our children to be blessed? 
Amen? And notice in this verse in Hebrews, it says, He blessed them concerning things to come, concerning their future. In other words, the Jewish culture didn't do this out of a tradition or just routine or it's something that, oh, I'm Jewish, so I've got to bring my kids to the rabbi and he's got to bless them. No, it was more than that. They believed in the power of blessing. They believed that it made a difference. They believed that when they laid their hands on the heads of their children and began to speak the the blessings of God over their children, that it was making a difference in the lives of their kids. And And it would make a difference in their future. Amen? That's why we still do it today. We do it today because it's powerful. Because it makes a difference in the lives of our kids. Blessing our children is something that I want to challenge you to do this Christmas. I want you to take time, maybe on Christmas morning, maybe it's a tradition that you'd like to start in your home. Or maybe when you all get together in a family, maybe if you're grandparents, it's a tradition that you would like to start. Where you gather around to to have a big feast and fellowship with your family And you just, either before or after the meal, you take time to have all the children come forward and you begin to lay your hands on them and just pray the blessings of God over them. That's why they were doing it. That's why they brought these children to Jesus. But it's interesting to me that they were rebuked for doing this. Now why would the disciples of Jesus rebuke them for bringing their children? And we see Jesus, that wasn't Jesus' heart. That wasn't what he intended. Well, maybe they thought that it was annoying because they were on the way to Jerusalem and this was going to hinder them. They were going to be late to their journey. And we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But we can kind of speculate. Why would they do that? Why would they rebuke them for bringing their children Well, maybe it was because they were interrupting their discussion. Maybe Jesus was teaching them something, speaking into their lives, and so they rebuked them. We don't know why, but we know that Jesus said, come on, bring the kids to me. He loved them, and he wanted them to receive a blessing. And I want to challenge you not just to to be the one that blesses this Christmas, but come to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to place your hand on my life, and Lord, I want to receive a fresh blessing as your kid. Amen? We need a blessing from the Lord this Christmas too. And Jesus, that's his heart. He loves us. Now, we're not given the reason why, but Jesus told them to stop. And I want you to think about this. Why were the parents bringing the kids to Jesus at this time? Why did they feel the need to have him bless their kids? Now, we're not told that in Scripture either. But if we look at the context of what was going on around that same time, look back at verses 3 through 12 in Matthew, and what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the sanctity or the holiness of the family. He's talking about things that we need to fight the enemy to keep our our families together and we need to fight the enemy together stand against him 
that our, our, our parents and our children love one another and care for one another. Today we live in a culture where all the cartoons are mocking parents and, and making the parents look silly or, or, or even stupid in many ways. And that's being ingrained into the, the lives of our kids. We need to guard our kids and what they're watching. Amen? But our culture and our society, our kids grow up, and by the time they're 14, they think they know everything. They think they know more than, than you and I do, their parents or their grandparents. We need to, to reverse that, church, amen? We need to have a family that realizes this family is, is here because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we love one another, and we love Him, and we're going to fight to keep our family whole and keep it as what what the Lord wants it to be. I really believe that's possibly, we're not told, but I believe that's possibly what happened. That, that the parents were overhearing Jesus talk about the sanctity of the family and the importance of keeping the family together and, and that they, they were just bringing their children because they want their children to be blessed in their family one day. Amen. So when you bless your children, pray for them. I prayed for years and years and years and years for Mitch a bride. <laughs> and I thought it was never going to happen. I did. But I didn't give up. Amen. And I kept praying. And the Lord brought him a beautiful Christian bride that loves Jesus with all of her heart. And that's what I was praying for. And so church, blessing our children makes a difference in their lives in the future. And I can tell you that I am here and that I love Jesus and I minister because of the prayers of not only my mother, but my grandparents. They prayed over me. They laid hands on me. And they said, God, we know you've got a future and a destiny for this son, this child you've given me. My mother tried to have children for seven years and wasn't able to have children. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed that God would give her children. And finally, after seven years, she was at the altar praying for children. And God spoke to her heart and said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Milton. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why on earth did you save to name me Milton? <laughs> I'm being honest. But guess what? After she prayed, after God spoke that into her heart, she knew she was going to have a son. And I don't know how long it was, if it was nine months or whatever, but she had a son. And all my life, she kept telling me, God's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. You're an answer to my prayers. And she would pray blessings over me. And I say, say all that, church, to say, bless your children, pray over your children, and know that it will make a difference in their future. Pray over your grandchildren, bless your grandchildren, because it will make a difference in their future. Amen?
I love the fact that Jesus here, he says, come on, bring them to me. And church, Jesus will never push you away. One of my favorite verses in Hebrews, it's chapter 13, verse 5, the last part of the verse says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many love that verse? Amen. And I, in the past, I've, I've preached on that verse and I've, I've gone into the original Greek and, and showed you that it was a compounded negative. That it, in other words, the Greek language is richer than the English language. And that when we come across words like in, the, in this verse that's translated for he has said, I will never leave you. Well, never in the Greek is a compounded negative. In other words, it's a forever never. It's compounded by itself in the Greek language. And so what you really have is more like this. I will never, no, not ever, no, never. How many like that? Amen? And if you take the word leave and forsake, they're rich in meaning too. And if you put all of that together... This is what you have. I will never, no, no, not ever, no, never give up on you, abandon you, leave you behind, cause you not to survive, leave you helpless, nor shall I ever relax concerning keeping my presence with you. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. And so I want you to think about that church. Jesus isn't going to stiff arm you. <laughs> in football, you see it, see him stiff arming when the back's running with the ball, and he'll stiff arm trying to get some more yardage and keep him away from tackling him. Jesus never pushes us away, but he always welcomes us. You say, Pastor, but you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the sin that I've been involved in, Lord. I, I can't. I just can't believe that Jesus is going to welcome me. And the message is, yes, he welcomes you with open arms. Amen. He welcomes you in, his, in your sin and your failures and in your heartache and in your pain. He welcomes you, church, because his blood is greater than all your sin. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. His blood is greater. Then he welcomes you to come. And I, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. <laughs> Amen? I'm excited about that. I'm thankful for that. So this, this Christmas, I challenge you. Let God bless you. Come to your, your Abba Father and say, Lord, I need your touch. I need your hand upon my life. I need you to bless me that I can be all that you've called me to be, that I can be great in the kingdom of God. How many like that? Amen. Amen. I'm doing good. I want you to turn to John chapter 6. I want to look at another great story of Jesus and a child. And we'll, we'll end with this story today, but we'll spend a, little, a few minutes on it. There was a little boy that was in a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher asked all the kids in the class, What's your favorite Bible story? And he, he raised his hand right quick. And so she pointed him out. And he said, 
I like the one where everybody loafs around and fishes. That's the, that's the story I want us to look at. It's a story that's contained in all four of the Gospels. But only in John is the boy manifest to us and revealed that he was a lad. Look, look at verse uh, 2 in John chapter 6. I'm gonna, this is a great story. I'm just going to read through it right quick. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I think that's interesting, and that's not part of my message, but I want you to think about that. Sometimes God let tests come into our lives to prove, but he already knows what he's going to do in the midst of it. Philip answered him saying, 200 denarii, 200 denarii, that would be equivalent to eight months salary. An average salary that someone made, it would be equivalent to eight months of, of your wages. So that wasn't a small amount of money. And the word that's used here for multitude is used uh, for thousands of people. So Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. The other Gospels tell us that he made them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Most Bible scholars believe that if you added the women and the children, there would have been between 15 and 20,000 people. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Did you hear that? As much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This story is found, as I said, in every gospel. But here John tells us it was a lad. It was a lad. So he was probably at the least six or seven years old and at the most 12 years old. And the way that this story is written in all the Gospels, it appears that he was alone. A little boy that was alone. And that's, that's interesting to me. If, if he hadn't been alone, it probably would have been in the narrative that he, he looked to his mom and dad and said, is it okay if I give Jesus my lunch? But it doesn't say that. It says he, he gave them the lunch. 
And so we look at this great story and we see that this boy probably, is, he probably encountered his mom and we don't know why he wanted to come to be with Jesus, but we know he wanted to hear Jesus. That's why he's there. He wanted to be in Jesus' presence. That's why he's there. Is that a great example for us? Amen. It is. But just imagine if he had come to his mother and, and said, Mom, Jesus, Jesus is here. He's in town. He probably heard the people talking about Jesus' healing and ministry. Or it could have been, we don't know, but let's speculate for a minute. Just imagine with me, maybe this little boy had been with his parents when they brought the children to Jesus about a year before, because that's the timeline. About a year before he was here in this area. Maybe he had been with his parents and he had received a blessing from Jesus. And from that moment on, after Jesus touched him, he knew that his life had greater purpose than he ever knew before. I don't know for sure, we don't know, but something happened in the heart of that little boy that he wanted to hear Jesus, he wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. And church, that's my prayer for us this Christmas. We would have something in our hearts stirred up by God that we would want to hear God's voice speaking in our lives, hear his word speaking in our lives, and we would just want to be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Yes, I love to decorate. Yes, I love the Christmas trees, and I, I love to give gifts. I love to see the response when, when I give gifts to, to different people and in my own family, and my children, my grandchildren. I love that. But I know that's not all that, that Christmas is. And some people say, well, we don't celebrate because it's December the 25th. That's a pagan holiday. I've heard that. Bah humbug, Scrooge spirit. Most likely, Jesus was probably born in September or October. But somewhere in church history, they chose this day to celebrate the greatest gift ever given. And it doesn't matter to me what day it is, I always want to celebrate the greatest gift ever given. And to me, I look at the, the, the fake evergreen trees, and that green and that evergreen representation there speaks that He has given us eternal life. Every red bow, every red ornament speaks of the precious blood of Jesus to me. It reminds me, and all the lights remind me that He is the light of the world. So I don't get caught up in, I, in the things that we shouldn't decorate. or You know, I, I talk to pastors all the time, and I have pastors that, that say, oh, we put a Christmas tree this year on the platform and I had several people in my church get all offended and upset and church we shouldn't do that it's okay if you if you feel that God's speaking to you and you, your family doesn't celebrate Christmas that's between you and the Lord but as for me I'm going to celebrate Jesus and I'm going to do everything I can in the midst of a culture that takes our eye away from the manger and away from the birth of the Son of the living God. I'm going to do everything I can to celebrate Jesus. I want people to know the real meaning of, of Christmas. How about you? 
Why would this boy want to come? Because something had happened in his heart. And this young boy looked up and he knew that Jesus was coming and and this time they're asking for food. Does anyone have any food? That's interesting to me. I, I just don't wonder if they didn't bring all of those leftovers to this little boy. It doesn't say. But I think at least a portion of that, 12 baskets, I think at least a portion, I think that little boy went home loaded. Why? Because that's the heart of God. Amen? There's something else I want us to see in this passage. If we surrender what we have to Jesus, unimaginable possibilities will be realized in our lives. He had a lunch, some loaves and fish. How many of us would have been stuck in it inside of our coat? I'm not going to, I'm going to starve. Fear comes. When, when God is there and we want to present something to him, guess what, church? The enemy comes with lies. He tells you, don't give that to Jesus. Don't give it to the disciples. You need that. You're going to be hungry later. It's a long walk home. And you need every bit of that for strength to get you back home. Right? Is that how the devil works? But he, he, he gave it to Jesus. And I want you to see something powerful there, church. He gave it to Jesus and Jesus blessed it. And then it was multiplied. And church, we need to bring whatever area in our lives today. We need to bring those things to Jesus. Bring your marriage to him. Lord, bless my marriage. Lord, here I am, bless me. Lord, I surrender all to you. He gave everything he had to Jesus. And when it comes to giving, and every, every pastor will tell you they don't want to preach about that. But this was part of my, I just couldn't help it with this, this text. I hadn't planned on it, but I, by the time I got through, it was there. Let me guarantee you, when you give to the Lord, you're going to be blessed. This little boy didn't have any idea what was going to happen. I can just picture him, you know, giving his lunch to Jesus. And church, when you give to Jesus, you better get ready because God's going to do something awesome. Amen? Now think of that. Think of this again. It was between fifteen and 20,000 people. Think about it. It was just one kid's happy meal. That's all he had. Right? Now think about that. He gives it to Jesus. Jesus looks up to heaven and he blesses it. And then he starts distributing it to the 12 disciples. A happy meal wouldn't go very far just in the 12 disciples. Really? A couple of fish and some loaves? It wouldn't have gone very far. I can just picture the disciples saying, really? You know, this isn't going to fill me up, much less if I start passing it out. And it, going to the first, the first group of 50, you know, and, and here's Peter, or Andrew, and they break it off. And, you know, they, they think, I've got to make it go as far as I can. So I'm going to give him just a little bit. So they, they give him a little bit. And it says in the text that they... They ate until they were full. 
And I want you to notice the miracle didn't take place until after Jesus blessed it, until after the disciples began to give it away. The miracle didn't take place in Jesus' hands. They weren't running back to Jesus, give me, give me more. Jesus blessed what they had, and then they took what they had, and they broke it and began to pass it out, and it began to multiply in their hands. As they were passing it out, church, there's a powerful truth there we need to understand. When you give it to Jesus, you give that it's going to multiply. God's going to bless you. And I'm not one of those preachers, name it and claim it. And I'm not one of those prosperity preachers where you tell everybody, oh, Jesus wants us all to be millionaires. But I am a pastor that reads the scripture, and I will tell you that's what that passage is teaching us. Amen? And, and I want to look at one more, one more verse, and I'm going to close. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen? For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a powerful truth. In other words, there's no place for a Scrooge spirit in the heart of any Christian. Amen? All of us are called to be like children, to be like this lad, this boy of, you know, 6, 7 to 11 or 12 at the most, probably a little on the older side because he was alone. But he gave it to Jesus. Jesus said, here you go. There wasn't any hesitation. And look, at the end they had 12 baskets filled. Church, I want to be like this little boy. I want to say, Lord, I want your multiplication in my marriage. I give you my marriage. I want you to multiply it. I want it to be all that you called it to be. To bless my marriage. To be, Lord, just a godly marriage that will, will love one another and will be a light to the world. Whatever area in your life today, give it to Jesus, surrender it to him, and let him bring his multiplication power into that marriage or into that workplace, into that job, wherever you need it. We need God's touch. We need his blessing. And we need him to multiply it, to make it all that he wants it to be. I want to ask the worship team to come. Yes, we are. Don't worry, Effie, we're going to light the candle. <laughs> the worship team's going to come. And now I just want us to take a moment. You know, in the one passage we've read, it says that the disciples rebuked them. They rejected them. In church, all of us have been rejected at one time or another. But if we don't deal with the rejection that we have, it becomes bitterness and resentment in our, in our lives. And it destroys us. And so I want to ask you today, is there bitterness or resentment in your heart? Is there rejection that hadn't been healed in your life? I want you to bring that to Jesus today and let Him heal that.
because He'll never push you away. Aren't you thankful for that? He'll never push you away. I want you to stand. I want to invite the prayer team to come to the front and, and across the back.